Welcome back to Radio Check, a podcast by the Department of Institutional Memory. Today we're going to talk to Fearless. Fearless has been a ranger since 1994, found the event by running around the desert, was involved before Leave No Trace, been a part of Leave No Trace. He was a bit of a thorn in the side for the organization and also an advocate at the same time. This is part one of two-parter. Fearless just had so much to talk about. And if you're wondering what the comment about trains was, check out the picture on the website. Fearless's background is a Bulgarian train engine. Have a good listen. Are you guys good? You know, we're in New York, people die here. <laughs> not you. For some reason, you're just not gonna die. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not today, so I'm happy about that. So, what's. Are you a big train fan? Yeah, I like train machinery and shiny things. Well, that I get. Let me just kick it off, Fearless, and we'll get right into it. So welcome everyone back to Radio Check. Very special guest today. We're here with Fearless. Fearless has been a Black Rock Ranger for a long time. We're also here with Crow. Welcome, Fearless. It's great seeing you guys. Yeah, good to be seen. Good to see you. I sent you an email a while ago about some of your experiences, and I asked you about when the first time you came to the Black Rock, and you said it was in the 80s, when you moved from San Francisco to Nevada, and you were already a four-wheel aficionado. What was the reason for leaving San Francisco coming to Nevada? Um, I was having too much fun, and it was time to get out of Dodge. <laughs> uh, was it self-preservation? It was. It, it was. That was back in the days of rock and roll, and if some feels good, more is better. And uh-huh. <laughs> A little pause for reflection. I say this is not going to go well. Uh, I could see a sad ending if I stuck around. <laughs> well, what were you doing? Were you like a rock and roller, or were you in bands, or were you just in the art scene? I was an audience, and I was also into business, and it was a big party back then. You know, it's like to begin with, I was working for Fireman's Fund Insurance Company, and. Um, on the weekends, uh, Friday night, I put together my little bag of concoctions and go stand in line at Avalon Ballroom and uh, get up in the front, get up in the front row, <laughs> and that's why I'm wearing these today. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, were you seeing sh- like rock shows? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was right. In the, I was right in the thick of it. I mean, we were. You know, taking limos to the concerts out at Candlestick Park and backstage passes and other pants and colorful vests. And, you know. <laughs> so, so the insurance world was doing you well. You had a little cash to throw around at the time. Yeah, and uh, I just woke up one morning laying in bed with my head on the pillow and my eyes opened up and. I came to the realization I did not want to go to work. Further realization, I decided I didn't want to go in there anymore. And put my head back down on the pillow and went back to sleep. <laughs> and that's, that's how I left Fireman's Fund Insurance Company. <laughs> you know, it's like I love San Francisco. And I didn't move too far away, if you'll notice. And, uh, I got to Nevada and 
got a uh, map from UNR, which is all the uh, thermal uh, in Nevada, all the hot springs and hot, uh, etc. And uh, had a mission to go and put my ass in every one of those at least once. And, Covered Nevada in a Volkswagen convertible. <laughs> what? Wait, you said you were a four-wheel aficionado. You didn't say it was a convertible. Okay, you know that was actually easier. You know, and you know back then the four-wheel drive I had then it was a Dodge Power Wagon uh, surplus from Forest Service, I think, or something. It was not an easy ride, and I was looking to put on some miles. So it was a Volkswagen. <laughs> Right on. So you're out in the desert running around finding hot springs, and that's apparently how you ran into Burning Man? I was out there, you know, that was like a close area, and that was before the conservation area in the wilderness areas were declared up there. And uh, I ended up just poking around, poking around, and got into the immigrant trails and ended up following that from Wright Patch Reservoir all the way up to Goose Lake, uh, California. And basically just doing a lot of just poking around. There's a lot of remnants of the immigrant trail still there. I mean, you could find scratches on the rocks. There were grooves in rocks uh, from wagon wheels. And back then, it was like people kept journals. And there were some, some of these journals had a, a lot of hand drawings in them. And you could look at a picture in one of these journals and see the, exactly the same scenery in front of you. So you could actually follow the uh, immigrant trail with the immigrants that way. And uh, in doing that, one, you know, I ended up. Uh, meeting other people, sitting around, listening to stories that they had to tell, telling a few of my own, and picking up trash, handing out maps, waving my arm, pointing directions, and what have you. And then I ended up volunteering for with BLM and became a BLM volunteer. And basically, I was doing the same thing that I was doing before. You know, except then I was on a mission. So one evening on the way back in toward Gerlach, I noticed some lights way off in the desert. And I didn't recognize them. So what's going on over there? So I swung the wheel over and went to visit. And that was Burning Man in 1993, I believe. So you were volunteering for the BLM before you ever went to Burning Man? Yes. Yeah, that's how I discovered Burning Man. <laughs> awesome. Cool. And any rate, you know, I went over and there was probably a hundred people, two hundred people there. Hundred uh, people. It was it was uh, I looked at that and you know, just drove around and looked at what there was and hey, this is great. You know, I mean it's a little bit perturbed because there's this big party going on in my backyard I didn't realize, but <laughs> I did I was impressed with it and it was like far out. You know, I want to see this going on forever. You know, and that thought came to mind. And I also realized then and subsequently that at the time they were basically just leaving it there where it lay. And they departed. There's, this was before leave no trace. And I did recognize that, hey, this is not going to be able to continue with this uh, 
leaving this kind of a mess behind. It's not going to happen. You know? So following that and subsequent years, uh, the following couple of years, I had somewhat of a nemesis for Burning Man. I mean, I was getting on their case as far as like leaving trash. But uh, at the same time, though, you know, I stood up in there, uh, was it, I forget, the county permitting process where they had hearings and what have you, and you had people standing up, you know, swearing that that was uh, uh, the devil incarnate at work out there. And I was basically standing up and standing up for Bernie Man. And I say, yeah, they've left a big mess. They say they're going to clean it up. Uh, I believe that you know, they do what they say, and they are also pragmatic. And I think we, uh, we could depend upon Burning Man cleaning up their mess after themselves from here on out. And that was the case. So that was following that, they initiated Leave No Trace in the event, and with trainings and what have you, and... Uh, I became involved in the Leave No Trace effort as far as became it became a qualified Leave No Trace instructor and you know played kept continued playing out in the desert, except once again on a mission. So he came, he saw, he wanted to keep going, he became an advocate for the group in public hearings, but also a thorn in their side and telling them that they had to work on keeping this mess down. So when you get involved with things, you don't have to just accept it. Fearless stood up for the thing he wanted to see continuing, let them know what they needed to do, and help change the image of the event. Fearless got a really nice payout for the work he was doing pretty early. Yeah, it wasn't very many years later uh, that when, you know, at the end of the event, you know, I was out there cleaning up after myself and my surroundings and what have you. And I looked up and scanned the remaining people there. And so I could see was a bunch of asses sticking up in the air. It was a field of people picking things up. You know, I was moved. That was impressive. So all the people attending Burning Man got their act together, and it wasn't just the Burning Man site that benefited. Fearless gets to explain another payoff he got from just being involved with the group of people coming out and changing the environment. In working for BLM, one of the duties then was to drive around in the springtime when the bio became first navigable and going around to all the favorite camping spots around the perimeter in picking up trash, cleaning these places up. And you could determine how many beers somebody brought to a campsite. You count the cans, there's going to be 24. 12 of them. They're <laughs> like that. Every, you know, every one of them were left on the ground. So I would come back with uh, two or three large garbage bags of stuff and bring it in. And it wasn't very many years later in making that same route, I ended up coming back with just one little bag. And that was impressive. I mean, we made an impact, not not purposely, but we did make an impact on the other users to the playa. And it's been that way ever since. Can you tell us briefly about the origin of the Earth Guardians? You were involved in that, right? Right. It was created 
as a, a consequence of those hearings and Burning Man assuring the authorities that things are going to be, there's going to be a change mm -hmm. and things are going to get cleaned up. And, you know, I was involved in Leave No Trace from the beginning, but I did not have play a role in initiating other than uh, in the hearings and what have you. So you ran across those guys, you think it was 93 when you were out there uh, and, and you just saw them and stopped and wanted to be a part of it. And then at the next set of hearings, that's when you went and stood up for them and said, well, they said they're going to clean up oh, their yeah. mess. Well, prior, prior to that, BLM was not even aware that Bernie Man existed. Ooh. I mean, they were having these gatherings out there for, I don't know, some number of years, two, three, four years. Uh, and BLM was not even aware of it. It was about that time that they did become aware of it. And the county became aware it became an issue. Ah, there was a time when the BLM didn't know Burning Man existed. Hmm, the good old days. Back when they had the drive-by shooting range. We're going to talk about that in a second, but first, let's go back to the difference between reality and what's in our spreadsheets. I looked in the clubhouse and it says your your first year you were a, a Black Rock Ranger was '95. No, I think it was I think it was '94. Thereabouts. I don't know. Coming boards together back then, <laughs> but you know, that you know, I just basically did a drive-through in my first encounter with Bernie Man. Did a drive-through and maybe got out. I, as I recall, there was there was uh, there was a stand there. It was a spoof on McDonald's, and they were actually selling hamburgers. That was yep. all from the legend, right? It's, it, it was Flash's stand, and it was Mick Satan's. At least in '96, it was called that. Yeah, maybe it was Mick Satan. Yeah, <laughs> and that was '96. Probably not, not the first read. I know we did that year because of Helco. Okay. Uh, at any rate, uh, subsequent to that, I ended up just driving uh, to Burning Man. Didn't camp or what have you. You know, I was aware of when it was and where it was, and drove up and. Uh, just did, you know, did a walkabout, and, and once again, very much impressed. I mean, it's some neat stuff happening out there. Somebody had a, uh, a complete black shop set up with multiple forges, multiple anvils, and a lot of scrap metal. So you go up there and pick up a piece of iron and put it in the forge and bring it out and beat on steel if you wanted to. And, uh, you know, there was that. Somebody else had, uh, they came in and they had a bunch of large objects out in front of uh, a large motorhome. And on the top of the motorhome, the guy was up there with a box, a two foot by two foot box of drumsticks. And we got a crowd out there and he was like tossing them out drumsticks. And here's all these metal tubes, metal plates, and a lot of large metal stuff out there. And everybody started beating on that. <laughs> it ended up being a, a cacophony. Uh, but every now and then, it'd be like uh, the same phenomenon as when you hear locusts sometimes. It's a cacophony. And then all of a sudden, it sounds like they're all in tune and working together. Yeah, that same effect there. It was like, you know, it was a fun scene. 
You said this next year you came and you uh, set up shop. So you sat in the shade with a gin and tonic in hand and watched the world go by. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was like, that was the first year that I actually sat out there and made camp and what have you. Mm-hmm. And uh, watching this stuff go by and break out into giggles about every five or ten minutes. There's <laughs> something, something going by. Uh, and... And got to you know, got to meet Ranger, got to meet the people involved. I was volunteering, going around helping people do stuff and what have you. And uh, the second uh, year I actually went out there and camp, um, Ranger to begin with, like Ranger and myself, Danger Ranger and myself here, that first year, it's like there's no fence, there's no directions or what have you. You basically stopped on your way onto the playa, there would be a couple of vehicles there just off of the three mile and with the sign, you know, Burning Man, and you'd stop and they'd tell you to you know, go so many miles this way, point such and such this way, and when you get there, take a right, and go so many miles there, and there you'll find Burning Man. And that was it. That was, that was the gate. And, uh, at any rate, we, Danger and I end up pulling out a lot of people out of the mud. And there's some number of years there where, you know, a measure of the Burning Man's fun that year was how many vehicles we pulled out that year. There was a count. You know, we had, you know, so that was, we'd be out there actually finding lost souls, pulling people out of the mud. We'd get word that, Somebody's stuck at such and such a direction, so we'd go out there and search for them and find them. And uh, I, the second year, I was sitting there at my campsite, and Danger invited me to become a ranger. And a ranger at that time was nothing more than Danger asking you if you want to be a ranger, and I think a T-shirt. <laughs> had some T-shirts. That was it. Were you doing rescues the first year you camped? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you can only sit there and drink gin and tonics for so long. You know, you got to do something. So, yeah, I was out there, you know, just you know, jumping in when, you know, somebody was engaged in an activity, like use some help, just jump in. You, know. you did, like, some mapping for the BLM, too, right? You oh, well, ran so- a GPS track that ended up going onto these road maps that they use still right and uh well that was for the uh, dealing with creating the nca national conservation area and now it's a black rock desert high rock canyon immigrant trails national conservation area i think exactly okay well this was yeah this was in uh, preparation for that uh-huh Basically, mapping roads and with lots of pictures and tracks, and which was subsequently used to determine well, which ones are we going to keep in existence and yeah. which we're going to make disappear. And uh, I was involved in doing some of the mapping and uh, taking pictures of these individual areas and also making the roads that disappear. It's actually going out there and taking the track, which was designated as part of a 
the wilderness area, we'd go out there and dig and, and plant sagebrush in yep. the middle of the school and make the actual roads disappear. Yep. Picture of that later, and it would not look, not look like there was anything there. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've never even heard well, of this. Especially at the mouths of the roads so that people would stop using them. And then they, you know, you, you wouldn't try to eliminate the whole road. You eliminate the kind of access to it to where it would not be possible. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's like myself and other people. You see a track going off somewhere and disappearing over the mm -hmm. hill. Um, your inclination is to follow that track and see what's on the other side of that hill. Yeah. You know, without, you know. It going anywhere, and a lot of times these tracks were created by somebody going up there. There's nothing there, and they'd come back. Well, then they'd get made two tracks. Yeah. <laughs> so this was, uh, you know, designed to, you know, deal with that kind of a problem. Yeah, I just thought that was an important kind of contribution or something because I would hear about you later from, you know, I did some of that work too when I was working for Friends of Black Rock. Like, rehabbing areas and taking out old minor shacks and stuff but um they, you you were still known then as someone who had done a lot of the mapping with your gps i thought that was pretty cool yeah and it was like once again i was out there poking around going the same places i'd be going anywhere anyway except then i was on a mission yeah how different has your rangering been since you started doing it till now i mean you started out doing search and rescue with danger and the gang and then then you know it, it's developed over time i mean how do you see the development is it all been wonderful is there things that are different or are you just like watching it happen oh it's it's a necessary change obvious i mean somebody's been there for you know before it's like they're, they're drive-by shooting in you know game and you know going out you know just going out from the event and facing the other direction and shooting targets. So it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> and it's, uh, it, it's pretty obvious if you've been there why it's necessary. And I think it's done, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing how the organization has kept this thing going and uh, made it work. I mean, it works. And uh, that's, that's the bottom line intent, is to have the thing work. And uh, I, you know, if anybody's got better ideas, they're open to accepting them. Uh, in the meantime, you know, the way they're, uh, what they're doing right now is the uh, end result of people's methods and ideas. I mean, this is full transparency. And there's uh, little that's going on behind closed doors that we aren't aware of. We, you know, the avenues are there to remark upon it, to contribute, come up with a better idea if you got one. Meantime, this is the way it works, so, which is appropriate. Were you ever uh, wearing your Ranger T-shirt and standing out at the drive-by shooting range and telling people to aim properly? <laughs> no. I think I've offered ear protection a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> one of the great sights was seeing Dirt Witch topless, with a 45 in a shoulder holster. Yeah, great picture. <laughs>
that's an image from the old days to leave you guys with. That was Fearless, Running Man Fan, Thorn, Advocate, Leave No Trace, Earth Guardian, Hearing Protector Supplier, Train Fan. More next week. Take care of yourselves. Radio check.